0: Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. Good news! I'm doing this episode from a new computer. Hopefully everything works out okay. Ordinarily, I'd throw some ad in here, but I'm not doing that today. Instead, I'm just going to ask those of you in the United States to vote on Tuesday, November 6th. It's important. Go to vote.org to learn about early and absentee voting, find your polling place, and get election reminders. And for all other things related to voting in this year's election. This is episode 44. Today, we're talking to Tamara Rozier. Tamara is the president of the ADHD Coaches Organization, the co-founder of Acorn Leadership, and the founder of the ADHD Center of West Michigan. In today's episode, we're talking about parenting as leadership, developing core values in our kids, ways to avoid passing anxiety on to our children, and the importance of being authentic when we parent. All right, let's get rolling.
1: I work a lot with parent coaching. And when parents are in my office, I ask them what is their vision for their children? And leaders need vision. And so what we do is in our office together say, well, what characteristics do you want your child to develop? And I do a card sort with my parents and then um, they can only choose three. In other words, we can't build all the characteristics all at once. We've got to focus. We've got to have a specific vision. And what help, this helps with is a lot of parents come into my office very anxious. My kid's not doing well. He's doing this. She's doing this. This is happening. And we start to focus only on the negative. And I know you and I really agree on positive um, aspects of parenting.
0: Absolutely. So how do I even begin to figure out what characteristics I want for my kid?
1: Here's a way you could do it is if the parent listening wants to look at a list of values and you can Google anything, but you can Google a list of values. Mm -hmm. and sit down with your partner and say, What are the three most important values we want to instill in our kids? And many times parents would look at that list and say all of them. That's not realistic. And so, if you're going to have a vision for you and your family, we need to really focus on three values. Just a quick example: as I was raising my three ADHD kids, uh, I the most important value I thought I could instill in them is hard work. Mm -hmm. And hard work because We have ADHD and that sort of stinks sometimes. But if you work hard, you learn resilience and to bypass a lot of the ADHD hassles. Um, The other one was integrity. And the last one was courage. Um, I have three females that I was raising. And I think it takes a lot of courage um, and integrity and hard work to be a female these days.
0: Just you saying that, those are pretty close to the three that I would say that i'm instilling in my kids i have boys who are in fourth grade and i'm breaking more towards resilience than towards hard work an example of that is they play soccer not to learn how to play soccer but to learn how to do something that's hard right fall down get back up again that kind of stuff exactly integrity is there as well that's a that just keeps coming up especially as boys like i want you doing the right thing, treating people well, Mm -hmm. being respectful of women when you're older. Yes. Those sorts of things. We've had to have some pretty close Me Too movement conversations in our house because of things that have happening at school with uh, one particular kid who is not being nice to girls. Yeah. And then the third one for us tends to be creativity because that's their strengths. And I want to make sure I'm leaning on that.
1: In our house, creativity was such a given because we're all highly flexible kind of artistic flighty people that I didn't have to teach that. That was already part of the air we breathe. Mm -hmm. But, um, notice like if I chose those three and you choose your three, that means cleanliness wasn't on that list. Right? So that means their rooms, when I was coaching my kids, their rooms. And I would, I would say, I would hold up my hand and say, okay, this is human level. And I would raise that this is cleanliness and this is what I would want. And I would keep, would keep raising my hand and I would drop my hand down. And I'm like, I just need you to live like a human, which means no trash, <laughs> no dishes. Um, but I didn't instill the cleanliness because I couldn't do it all. Right. And so my kids have grown up. They do, you know, do okay as far as, I mean, they keep it at the human standard. They're in their twenties now and I'm sure they're fine. But but they are incredible hard workers. They show courage every day and they show in- integrity. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's funny when they gripe about their roommates being slobs because they have no idea what pigs they were. But I, you notice I had to let it go because right. it wasn't okay to ask for everything at once.
0: And in some ways, cleanliness folds itself into those others, Right.
1: Uh, Not for my children, but yes, I get what
0: you're saying. Yeah, what I mean is like, if I say to my kid, hey, I need you to clean your room, go clean your room. If they're acting with integrity, they're doing the thing that has been asked of them by their parent. Maybe not when they're 20, but when they're nine, like my guys are. Yeah. And so part of my integrity stuff is expecting them, if I've asked them to do something, that they're going to do something. But I'm not focusing on their room every day hits a certain level and then I'm like, oh my God, what is going on in here?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? Who raised you? Wait, don't answer. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And then if we talk about it, then I expect them to do it. And if they whine about it, oh do I have to? Well, you know what? You know what we're working on is learning how to do things that are hard. So there's resilience.
1: Notice though, your focus shifted from cleaning the room to how you respond when I ask. Right. That's shift requires you to have a vision of what we're trying to do here.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So another one, uh, do you mind if I go on with?
0: Go wherever you want to go. Yeah.
1: So leaders really have to have the ability to motivate and inspire their employees. Mm -hmm. And this is where parents kind of, they get a little crinkly with me when I say this, but leaders are, valued for how well they can motivate and inspire those who Mm -hmm. follow them. And in our houses, we have kids who follow us. So, you know, the leader who is constantly harping, saying, Oh, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. is not inspiring. And so something I want to do with my kids, um, by the way, my youngest is 16 Mm
2: -hmm.
1: is to inspire them, to inspire them to be the best version of themselves. And to do that, I had to deal with my own anxiety about parenting. So I'm super old. And so now I've made it through a lot of the brush fires of parenting, right? Right. So now I'm on the other side going, oh yeah, guys, this is easy. But as you're raising the kids, you have an anxiety of, they're never going to turn out to be good human beings. Look how they act at my home.
0: Can I poke around in that? Yeah. This is something that I've been talking to the parents that I work with a fair amount, and it's, it's becoming a component of my workshops more and more, is the difference between parenting from fear and parenting from respect, or parenting through fear or through respect. And this is that leadership stuff that we're talking about. One of the things that I don't think we acknowledge enough is the societal pressure that gets put on parents to have, quote unquote, the perfect kid like that the kid that's doing what's asked, isn't being disruptive and isn't running around and isn't being weird, and in some ways isn't being a kid, ADHD or not. Right. And so that pressure that we feel from society, that nebulous, faceless blob, can cause us to feel afraid, like that anxiety you mentioned, right? We get some fear about, are we doing it right? Are our kids representing us right? Whatever you want to look at it. Yeah. And then we sort of pass that fear onto our kids because we wind up getting short with them or yelling at them and trying to get them to respond faster through effectively intimidation practices that are less useful in the long run.
1: That's exactly it. Uh, you know, I work with parents all the time um, and I don't know if this is happening in your your area, but it's definitely happening in mine. Uh, teachers have been under the gun for a while. And you and I are yep. both teachers. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I do understand But a troubling thing that's starting to happen is teachers call parents like two or three times a day. Say, your kid's a problem. How do you want me to fix this? The parents are like, gosh, I don't know. Then they start to ramp up the anxiety toward their kids, like you just said. And so, you know, I think going back to what am I trying to build in my child? What's the vision for my parenting is absolutely key here.
0: I want to circle back to the, the vision for our kids and the parenting through leadership and respect, but before we go there, why is it so bad for me to pass the anxiety onto my kid?
1: If you have a, a neurotypical child, that's bad. If you have a neurotypical kid, uh, they'll, they'll sense the anxiety, they'll build on it, and you'll raise an anxious child. Mm-hmm. If your child is ADHD, that's triple, quadruple bad. Because ADHD brains, as you and I both know, are already a little twitchy. And we have an emotional um, governing system because our prefrontal cortex doesn't do its full job. So we rely on emotional ways of governing ourselves. So now the child is living in an area. Wow. It's not just mom has anxiety about me. Mom doesn't like me. I'm not okay. Okay. And nothing's going to be okay. And so those messages really hit ADHD folks so hard, which is why I think the biggest gift we can give to our kids is to be emotionally healthy ourselves.
0: So, how do we do that?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, another thing I noticed that leaders do is they're directive and collaborative at the same time. These aren't um, opposites, you can be directive and collaborative. And so you need to know, um, like you said, all right, buddy, it's time to clean your room. That's directive. But you also know your little nine-year-old, if he has ADHD, he has no clue about how to clean his room. That's a great big wild jungle in there. And so you might say, hey, could we divide it into quadrants? And maybe let's just work for 20 minutes in one quadrant. Mm-hmm. So you're working with the child. You're not shaming the child. You provide provided a way. I have a pattern that I tend to say with uh, my kids. After being directive, I say, hey, your room needs to be cleaned today. And then I pause and say, would you like me to help you with some ideas about how to do that? That way, I'm giving the child a chance to say, nope, got it, mom. Even when they, I know they don't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I give them a chance for that ownership. And then a lot of times, 20 minutes later, they're like, well, I'm kind of overwhelmed right now. I say, well, would you like some ideas? Now, notice I'm not doing it for them because that's not developing any self-efficacy. But I am saying, yeah, let's collaborate. We can figure this out. A lot of parents tell me they end up cleaning their child's room. I'm like, wow, good for the child. That was some good manipulation of the child's point. Right. So collaboration doesn't mean I do it for you. It means I work with you and I walk alongside of you.
0: So with my guys, I do something similar. And I'm wondering, am I doing it wrong or am I just doing it different? So I'm going <laughs> to put you on the spot. With my guys, I'm, I'll say like, all right, guys, I need you to clean your room. Typically, I follow that up with, so what do you think? Like, what's the plan? How are we going to do this? And I say we to take some of the pressure off of them. Yeah. I don't actually clean anything usually. <laughs> Every now and then I might grab something. But typically I use the we to let take some pressure off. But what I'm not saying is I'm not asking the permission question that you asked. Would you like some help with that? I just lean into how are we gonna do it?
1: Personality-wise, I tend to ask that question more naturally. The one you're asking. How are we going to do this? Right. I have a very direct personality and I like to kick tail and take names. So I like to I like the task. I how are we gonna do this? What's our plan? But I've noticed with two of my kids that will send them kind of shrinking to the background because they're like, I don't know what was I supposed to have a plan? I'm not sure. And so if I just take a beat there and say, would you like me to suggest a strategy that gives them a time to go, Oh, 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 I should have a strategy about this.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Do you see
1: how I'm, I'm kind of building the idea in there. I do. And By the way, that's what I do in leadership too. All the time.
0: I do that more often with new tasks. Yes. So cleaning the room, they've done a hundred times, not a not hundred. Let's be honest. They've done it 50 times. So I I guess I'm making an assumption there that they already have strategies because I taught them those strategies, but that might not be true depending on what's going on.
1: Yeah. And if you don't mind some feedback on that idea, yeah. then saying, hey, just talk me through. How, how are you thinking? What's the first thing you're going to do?
2: Because mm-hmm.
1: that's a very ADHD friendly approach. Right. And I know you know this firsthand. You and I both will put off tasks that seem too big. Yep. Because we don't know the first step. Or we do know the first step, but we don't want to actually go to the first step and think it through. Because it's just too big. And we have to remember as adults, children have that. But they're on things that are much smaller, like cleaning your room.
0: One of the big first step barriers for me is not even not knowing how to do it but not having a good estimate of how long it's going to take. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> Things always take longer and are much more involved than we like to think. Yeah. Or uh, in the case of me unloading the dishwasher, it's much more simpler and doesn't take that much time. Either way, you and I will get it wrong quite a bit. Yeah. So remembering that our kids have that same lack of understanding about time mm-hmm. that will help us I'll lead our kids better.
0: We're looking at the values we want our kids to have, and we're inviting them and guiding them in, in engaging in their tasks, right? We're being both directive and collaborative. Yeah. Bringing that back to those three values. Do we want to be dile- directive and collaborative when it comes to those three values? Do we want to give them some input, maybe depending on the age?
1: I love that you bring up that nuance. So here's the deal. As a leader, I have what I already bring to the table. Those are my core values. And so the exercise I do with parents, that's just bringing their core values to the surface. But as our kids develop and develop their identity, which starts around 11 years old, they start to question, who am I? It's why I love coaching adolescents so much. I get to help them kind of work through those thoughts. As they're doing that, then I start to ask them questions. I remember my fourth grader, um, she was lying about completing her homework. And I would find her homework in an accordion folded style, crammed down in the bottom of her backpack. And I remember sitting her down one time and saying, We have a big problem here. And the problem isn't about your homework, it's about lying. Do you want to be a, the kind of person who lies to get out of trouble? And that was such a Moment in her life, her big blue eyes went, No. I said, All right, then let's figure out a different way to get homework done. That's one example how I reinforced my own value in her life. Mm -hmm. But as the kids are getting older, I start to like talk about their music, their taste in movies, and all that, and say, Oh, that's you know, it's cool that you like this song. What do you think this song says about you? And so I start to ask them identity questions so that they can develop their own values. Mm -hmm. And each of my kids, by the way, when you teach kids to think for themselves, they start to think for themselves. And that's a real pain because it would be (laughs) easier just to be, you know, commander in chief. Right. But the joy in that is, you know, they say, you know what, I don't think this represents who I want to be. And they start to make identity statements like that. And so when you're helping your ADHD child become more secure with who they are, what they like, what they don't like, you're preparing them with their own values to carry forward. You know, my youngest is 16. uh, She's still developing her values. Um, I Mm -hmm. sent her a text this morning. Uh, She had a soccer game until late last night. And she woke up first thing this morning, got out of the house. um, She did her homework. She was totally prepared for the date and she has to work after school. And I just sent her a text saying, I'm really impressed with your stamina because you really pulled this off. And she said, thanks, mom. That's one of the things in her that I can see kind of a value like, hey, I'm tough. I can figure this out.
0: And that's hard work too, which is one of the values you mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah. But she's starting to own it as hers, not mine. Does that make
0: sense? It does. And that's where um, I have so many. My head's going in a few different directions right now. Um, So I'm going to pick one and we'll see what happens with the other direction later maybe. It sounds like, because I'm imagining my listeners, right? And I'm imagining one listener who has a kid that's six, another that has a kid that's nine, someone else has a kid that's 12, and someone else has kids who are 20. And they're like, I didn't even think about all of this stuff when they were growing up. Now what do I do? Don't worry about (laughs) it. I'm sure you did fine. Um, You're
2: awesome, yes.
0: um, But I'm sort of going back to that parent of the six-year-old and the nine-year-old and even the 16-year-old. And it sounds like a piece of what you're saying is early on when they're six, we probably need to pick the values that we want to point them towards.
1: We should do that at their baby shower.
0: (laughs) Um, So travel back in time. Yes. Um, (laughs) So when when they're young and we're picking those values, we... Almost, if I could put on my English teacher hat for a second, we almost want to look like that as a rough draft. Mm-hmm. And as they get older, let them bring some input into those three values, and maybe one or two of them changes. But maybe also they just use a different word for it, like stamina like versus hard work. That yeah. might happen too. Yeah, am, is this? Am I onto something here? Am I? Yeah,
1: I really think you are, and I appreciate you bringing up that point because what happens in all of my three kids. Because of their personalities, because of how they perceive the world, how they experience life. And even, frankly, I'm better at parenting now, a 16 year old, than I was my 25 year old, right? I was a rookie and I made a lot of rookie mistakes. But what you see is they interpreted, uh, for example, hard work differently. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so they interpreted integrity differently. It still means integrity, but what integrity looks like to all of them. Is different.
0: Can you unpack that a little bit and maybe give us an example of each kid and what integrity looks like for them, or hard work, or
1: yeah? Let's go with the courage. I have three very, very different children. Uh, the first one, she's very, very conscientious, very loyal, um, a little bit more introverted, and she is such a hard worker. For her, courage kind of goes along with what you mean when you say resilience. She's like okay, this didn't work out. I'm going to figure out a way to work this out. Mm -hmm. And so she's interpreted courage as, what do I do when I fail? Well, I figure things out. My second child is 23. She goes big and bold. Her personality is big and bold. Um, She's hilarious. The life of a party. I mean, this kid can get me laughing. And her life is about go bold or stay home. She's also, um, very thoughtful when it comes to social issues. And so she's very bold about standing up for other women, uh, for standing up for minorities. So for her courage is, means bold. Mm-hmm. And my last one, um, she is a 40 year old woman trapped in a 16 year old body. And she's always been very prudent, very thoughtful, I can't take any credit for raising her because I think she would have raised herself just fine. Courage for her means not judging people and not deeming them appropriate or inappropriate. And it's very interesting how she has worked out how that courage means because it's the courage for compassion. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people with her personality style won't show compassion. Mm -hmm. And yet, She's kind of taken that into like, no, I will show compassion. I work with all my kids and they know their personality styles, according to the disc and Enneagram and Myers-Briggs. So uh, we talk a lot about personality development in our family.
0: I can't imagine why that would be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, nerds raise raise nerds.
0: (laughs) Connected to leadership um no you know what i'm going to stick with the the that concept we started with about the three values i noticed as i shared mine that i approached each of them from a different perspective the resilience one is because my kids have struggled with that but it's a weakness that we need to shore up it's not a, that's not a thing we can continue to struggle with so i'm intentionally focusing on that weakness and and also because that weakness will help shore up a number of other weaknesses
1: and you already have that value. You're not acquiring this brand new. You you value it.
0: I do. I do.
1: Probably as a Gen Xer.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like to think of myself as a zennial But yeah, as a Gen Xer, that resilience matters to me, especially because I've had to use it a lot. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I want to make sure they can. So that's one. In terms of integrity, that to me is, that's, that's something I value a lot. It's something that um, just keeps coming up across the domains of my life, whether it's the news and current events, or just sort of who I am as a person, or the fact that I read a lot of comic books (laughs) all the time. And then in terms of creativity, that comes from them. That's their strength. And I want to make sure I don't lose track of it. That creativity appears differently in each of them, but it's still, that's a strength for both of them. So I'm noticing that sort of the values I'm placing on them are coming from different areas. One is coming from a weakness that I want to address. Another is coming from a strength that I don't want to ignore. And then the third one is just sort of almost a utility value that can be useful in a lot of different areas. Is that the way to approach these values? Does it not matter that much? Should we focus more on weaknesses or strengths or how do you generally advise on that?
1: Yeah, uh, that's why actually I do a card sort with parents. You know, parents come into my office and say, okay, let's fix it. Let's fix this kid. You know, that's a total redirect at that moment because you're not in here to fix your kid. You're in here to sharpen your parenting skills for the sake of your child. So what I do is I have the card sort with all these values and making both parents agree on three core values. And then sometimes I'll throw them a bone in each. They each get one pet. Value that they can instill <laughs> uh, because each parent has that. that is the exercise that's very difficult because a lot of times I run into a parent that says, "Okay, so your creativity value is stupid. What they really need is cleanliness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You hear the conflict, and then that sets up this unhealthy communication triangle between parents and their child. And so, if we can decide what values are we raising our kids? It doesn't matter where they come from, we have to decide on what values. You know, I'm a bit mean, I've been told I'm a bit mean about um limiting the values to 3. I am just convinced that if I let people choose like 5, 7, we just can't focus on that. But we can focus on 3. And a lot of times parents will categorize, like, okay, if we say integrity, that's going to hit this, this, and this. And I love hearing them strategize. That's part of the discussion of how will we get this done? Parents leave that session feeling much more empowered because now they know what they're doing, why they're doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, you've just, you've just basically created a vision statement for your kids. So I can see how that would work.
1: Yeah. And so then when they come in the next time and say, hey, uh, Sam isn't doing his homework. And I say, okay, how how do you think we should look at this? What principle is it violating for you? What value? Mm -hmm. You know, it kind of sends them squirmy because no, homework. It's like, okay, but let's go back. What's the principle here? And so the principle might be integrity. You know, your job is a student. How can we show integrity here? Do you see how we're getting at fixing problems, but only much more deeply?
0: I do. And I can also see where that brings up the notion I mentioned earlier about parenting out of fear.
1: Yes. That's exactly it.
0: What if the parent is like, none of them? Right. Then why do you care? Then so what about what and homework is probably going to hit something, but but it's possible that the reason they think that's a big deal is because of the pressure of society as opposed to something that they actually value.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's why it helps clarify what people are doing and why people are doing it yeah so now homework isn't this moral issue that we're looking at going wow sammy you forgot to turn in your homework you're kind of stupid but now we say to sammy you know what you're not stupid buddy we have to figure out a better way to do this but the reason we care is because we want you to grow up with integrity right and so it refocuses, Sammy feels safe. He knows why he should care about this. And, and then we get healthier families.
0: It sounds like a lot of this approach of parenting as leadership requires some emotional intelligence.
1: Oh, absolutely. So emotionally intelligent leaders know how to manage their own emotions and not be responsive to their followers' emotions. So this is very, very difficult. But emotional intelligence um, has two big parts. It's knowing what's going on inside your head and also how do I display that in a socially appropriate manner. Mm -hmm. And this is very, very difficult when we work with ADHD parents because, and I'm sure you and I are both ADHD parents, so Mm -hmm. we both have experienced this. We have emotionally regulated brains for the most part. And then these little beings that we love so much and would die for can tick us off like no one else. (laughs) Right? Right. And so I'm amazed with how parents come in like, I love this kid so much and I hate him so much right now. And I have so much um, sympathy and empathy for that because I've been there. So what emotional intelligence is saying is, I see that you have your emotions, I have emotions, but let's not let them get entwined and mix like chemicals to create an explosion. Mm -hmm. Again, what I'm saying for the ADHD parent, I could just see them shaking their head like, oh, but you don't understand my kid. It is difficult. We have got to manage our own emotions because this sets the example for how we want our kids to respond. I was just working with a parent who was snippy with her kid, just like, don't do this, do this, do this, and being very snippy. The kid, she asked the child to do something. The child responded in the exact same tone. And she said, don't talk to me like that. Do you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What just happened? But she's going to, because that's how you're talking to her.
1: Exactly. And you know what? This was a good kid, but... Um, The the child was modeling what was being taught. Social learning is the most important learning that we do as humans. Right. And so minding your emotional intelligence is going to help your children develop emotional intelligence.
0: My kids just helped me with that. Ouch. (laughs) They did. Yeah, it was a little hard. I'm not going to lie. We have a dog who is, we've had him for about a year now, I guess, or it'll be a year in March, so not even a year. He's this little tiny black dog, looks just like Toto, legitimately looks just like Toto.
2: Uh,
0: and he's, really, he's a good dog. Like, he's a really good dog, well-behaved, just wants to be loved, doesn't even bark, like that level of good dog. But I have just enough executive functions to navigate the ADHD business and my wife and my two sons. I don't have quite enough for the dog. So I'm working on it. But um, the other day, I had one clean pair of jeans, and I'm in the basement before we leave for school with my kids playing Legos, which is not all the time. Don't think that I'm some magic parent who always plays Legos in the morning with their (laughs) kids, or even that my kids always play Legos in the morning. It's like maybe once or twice a week tops. Most of the time, they just want to watch TV in the morning. So that's their TV time. But when it's nice out, we leave the doors open in the backyard so the dog can come in and out. So. I'm in the basement sitting on the ground playing Legos. We have to leave in like a minute and a half. I'm like, all right, guys, let's start wrapping up. And we're sort of in the wrap up process. Dog comes in, hops up in my lap, feet are covered in mud. So my jeans are now, yeah, my jeans are covered in mud and awful. And I'm like, Oscar. And so he hops off. Oh, like I'm in full amygdala mode, right? Not too bad. Like it's always rained in with me. My amygdala has a tight leash. But I'm like, oh, and then Oscar runs upstairs. So now I'm yelling at him, but I'm not yelling at him because I'm in amygdala mode. I'm not having my amygdala lose its mind. I'm yelling at him because his feet are covered in mud. Right. I want him to stop so he doesn't jump up on the furniture and all that stuff. Right. Right. But that's not what my kids see. My kids just see me yelling at the dog because they think I'm losing my mind over getting mud on my pants. Yeah. Yeah. Which admittedly, I'm losing my mind because I got mud in my pants. But as soon as I lose my mind, I rein that in really fast. Right. That's like a reflex that I have from even when I was a kid. Um, doesn't always work so well for me, but it's a thing. Over the weekend after that, they went out with my wife and had, and Gavin, my most emotionally sensitive kid, said to her, I don't think dad likes Oscar. And I think that maybe we shouldn't have got Oscar because Oscar makes dad upset. And He's supposed to make everyone feel better and he makes me feel better and Nate feel better and you feel better, but he makes dad feel worse. So should we have him? Yeah. Right. And to me, that's an even trade. Like that's those three people being better and me being more frustrated. Totally fine. Let's do that. But if me being frustrated, is affecting them. That doesn't work.
1: Do you hear how the child, the ADHD child made it about him and how it's so important to be positive with that kid Mm -hmm. because they just misinterpreted something, right? It wasn't about them. But they thought they made it about them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So my wife talked to me and then I, right after she talked to me, we all sat down as a family and had a little meeting and I was like, thank you for letting me know. Like that it's important that I understand how you're seeing stuff and that I'm not doing it right by way of Oscar and I will do better. And I have, I'm I'm going on a week and a half of being patient with Oscar and changing (laughs) my internal monologue with him. Because instead of being like, yeah, okay, fine, Oscar, just go away, please. I'm like, yeah. every time I feel that coming on, I'm like, no, you're a good boy and everybody loves you. Like, we all yeah. love you. We're <laughs> glad you're part of this family. <laughs> like I say it out loud to him to reinforce that for myself and get the internal monologue changed. Um, and my patience with him has improved significantly.
1: Can I dissect that for the leadership moments? Yeah, please do. Because here's what you did. You acted as a leader. Mm-hmm. So you, you weren't actually losing your darn mind over the dog. But your your followers, your children, interpreted that, right? And they they don't know enough to give you direct feedback yet because they're just still little kids, mm-hmm. and so they gave feedback. They felt safe enough in the environment to give feedback, though the only way they knew how, right? And notice their little brains were like, "Daddy's daddy's not liking this. This can't be okay," and so they were processing. Good leaders allow followers to process. Mm-hmm this is part of the social emotional intelligence. We allow the followers to process without getting sucked into a defensive mode or having to prove that we were right. And so what you did is you also went one step further and said, hey guys, I heard that feedback. Here's what I meant to happen, but you know what? I hear that feedback and that's stressful for you. So I am going to work on this. And that act of leadership was modeling what you want your boys to do someday. Yeah. And so someday, I mean, you put something in the bank for someday when they're a husband and a father, right? Because you are using one of those values that you want to parent by.
0: Yeah, that's that's the integrity side of things, right? Yeah. So, and which reminds yeah. me, I have to so ask good leadership better because that's another component of what I try to do. Is part of why they thought that I didn't like Oscars because. We've had three occasions where he caused a little chaos in the morning. Yeah. Things are a little more time sensitive. And as a result, I'm a little less regulated in the morning. Right. One was the mud and then twice he escaped from the yard and it became like, we have to go to school and I have clients. Freaking I don't know where the dog is. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah.
0: But all of that took place over the span of six months probably. Right. So to me, that's like nothing. But to yeah. them, those are really big events that are stuck in their memory.
1: Yeah. And notice how emotionally healthy you were to own up to, to hey, guys, that's not what I meant. That's not how I would have interpreted these events. But I see that you interpreted it that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you that because you're nine and you get to interpret the world this way. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm going to help you in, by changing my behavior in this way. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of parents uh, will say, "Well, I shouldn't have to do that. I'm the parent." Okay, but do we want to lead our families in a way where we're creating the same kind of leaders in our in our future? Mm-hmm. And so that was fa- that's a fantastic example.
0: Cool, thank you. And in my um, defense is not the right word, but in my I am not amazing part. I uh, I completely ran an errand after we had that conversation because I needed time to process and sort of be like, I suck and I need to not suck. <laughs> like I had to process emotionally because that was hard. It's hard to find out that my kids aren't seeing me the way I want them to see me and that, or that I'm, I've disappointed them. That's hard. Right. Um, so I went and got milk or something like right yeah. after.
1: <laughs> well, but right there, that's a great example of you managing your own emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, okay, okay, this this is hard. I, I need some processing time. Time to go buy some milk. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it bought you enough processing time to come back and go, all right, this is cool. Notice you did the right thing, even though you didn't feel right about it mm-hmm. necessarily. That's social and emotional intelligence. Yay. But then you had to go back and go, <laughs> okay, cool, cool. I'm cool. This is okay. This is okay. Right. Yeah. Be cool, man. <laughs> right?
0: Because I felt the urge to be defensive, and it was hard to squash that. I did, but it was hard.
1: Yep, but you worked through it. You didn't make your kids work through it for you. That's the key, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah, I'm with you. So anything else we should do with emotional intelligence?
1: I I think you just provided a great example for us. So when we behave in a socially emotional, intelligent way, we're teaching our kids to do the same, Mm -hmm. and that's the key there. The healthiest kids I work with, I can go back and say, look how healthy of emotional intelligence their parents have, whether they have ADHD or not.
0: So you've also talked about positive attitude as a role in parental leadership. Can you walk us through that as well?
1: Oh, man, this is so important. Uh, I work with so many children who have anxiety. And I'm sure you've talked on this. Uh, before, how anxiety runs uh, with every ADHD person. Yeah, it's kind of our gasoline. It's how we know what's important at the time. But what happens is parents start to worry, they start to fear, and they start to kind of get that mumbly, fearing little voice, like "Oh dear, I hope this isn't okay." I and they start to mumble, and children will pick up on that mumbling. And so, what I really suggest that parents do is we take a problem solving attitude. We say, kiddo, this anxiety and you not wanted, wanting to go to school, that's tough. We can work through it. We'll figure this out together. Instead of going, well, why don't you want to go to school? Why don't you want to do this? Why, 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 why? Um, I make parents pinky swear with me that they will never ask why again. Uh, why is only going to lead you down a desperate road to unhappiness. Instead, Look at it, this as a problem-solving activity.
0: Can we do both? Because I often, I often ask why, but okay, I...
1: please, for the love of God, just stop asking why. <laughs> I, here's why. When I say to a nine-year-old, hey, buddy, why don't you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're ADHD, we don't really know why. Mm-hmm. What we can do is we can backfill some reasons why we think, but it's never really going to get to the bottom. But if we talk in a problem-solving way, we will get at the why question. Right. And so if we say, all right, uh, buddy, you're having a hard time going to school every day. You told me this feels pretty crappy for you. Uh-huh. Wow. What are our options? And as they're listing options, you're going to hear why
2: mm-hmm.
1: going to school is a problem. But okay. don't put the weight of why on your kid because the weight of why – is so depressing and it helps kids figure out, wow, I'm just not normal. I feel this way. I'm not normal. So instead of saying, why say, wow, this is tough. How can we fix this together? And so we, this gets at your resiliency value, right? Right. When we stop saying why we kick into resiliency mode and say, wow, this is tough. What can we do about it?
0: Okay. I'm coming from my guidance counseling background, and that's where the why comes from. But it's not only why. It's who, what, where, when, why. It's all those question words. Right. And what I'm looking for with those questions is more information. Because if my kid is school phobic, and it's because of English class, I want to know that. If it's because he's being bullied, I want to know that. If it's because, like, I want to find out why. Yes. But I'm doing it more detective style than just broad-based. Yes. I'm asking why as a piece of that problem solving that you're talking about.
1: Yes. Uh, you are a trained professional. Right. Most parents don't have that trained. By the way, I'm coming from uh, a high school teacher mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Glasser, I don't know if you ever ever read his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he always says, never ask a student why. Why aren't you in your seat? Well, why is not the important thing, right? <laughs> How right. are you going to get back in your seat <laughs> Yeah, is the important thing. So I do have a bias because of my training.
0: Yeah. See, my my stance on that is both matter. In the moment, why doesn't matter. Right. If you're out of your seat, I don't really care why. Sit down. Like, how are we going to get you back in your seat? But in the big picture, if you're consistently out of your seat, now I want to know why. Because there's a different problem. The problem is not that you're out of your seat. The problem is that your hip hurts. Or the problem is that you can't hear or can't see or something like that.
1: Right. So here's the problem. When you start to do the problem solving, the why will creep out. Right. Remember, you're highly trained. You have, you have a master's degree. Yeah. You've worked through this. (laughs) Most parents come to me and don't know, uh, when they ask why they ask it with a lot of emotion and kind of, kind of, um, signaling there's something really wrong here. And then that gives the kid anxiety.
0: Mm -hmm. And we want to avoid that. Absolutely. And we
1: want to avoid that. So you're right. I make a sweeping generalization with this, but for the majority of parents I work with, uh, why is not the useful? However, the, it will come out in the problem solving like, okay, buddy. So you don't want to go to, to you, you know, your math class. What, what should we do about that? Mm -hmm. And then he'll start by going, well, there's, a girl in there that keeps giving me mean looks. Oh, how can we solve for that? Like do you hear how the why will emerge very holistically and naturally without I do. Because as soon as you ask the kid why, they're like what's wrong with me? Why aren't I normal?
0: No, that makes sense. And and I I'm explaining sort of my stance on it because I hadn't drawn that distinction. Probably because of my training and I'm I'm dodging that naturally by how I who I am and what my training is, but one of the things you're pointing out to me is that maybe I'm not communicating that clearly enough with my parents when I work with them. And now I know that I need to be a little more careful around that area and how I'm how I'm presenting that question to them so that they're presenting it correctly to their kids.
1: Yeah. I, it's just let's not signal anxiety with that question, which is why I make the sweeping generalization that I do. Yeah.
0: And I do get to the I do get to that we don't want to up the anxiety. And I talk yeah. about nonverbals and tone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, awesome.
1: Yeah, and then I'm modeling how how can we solve this? Mm-hmm. And in, in order to solve it, we can get to what's causing this problem mm-hmm. without the shame because now we're moving forward in a problem-solving way.
0: This is a little bit of a different perspective on positive attitude than my listeners might have expected, right? Positive attitude, typically we think of it as like, everything is good and it's going to be great. That's not what you're talking about. This is a growth (laughs) mindset perspective.
1: Exactly. That's exactly. Um, You know, if I ever meet Carol Dweck, I'll be like a girl at a Justin Bieber concert. I just think (laughs) fantastic. And I draw a lot from her, uh, even though she's not always intending this, about how to raise ADHD kids.
0: I do too. Yeah, that positive in terms of there can be growth We can make progress. That kind of a positive attitude.
1: We can do this. Yeah. And and buddy, you're not alone. It's amazing to me how many children I work with who feel absolutely alone. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times um, I always give them an option. Do you want to come into my office with your parent or without a lot of times they say without, and then halfway through, they'll say, can I go get my mom? Because all of a sudden it starts to feel safe and -hmm. they want their mom to know this stuff too. Yeah. And it starts to kind of create this healthier ADHD environment for everyone.
0: I've had similar experiences. Yeah. Another element of parenting is leadership that you've mentioned is the importance of authenticity.
1: Yeah. Let's go with the leadership first. You know, when I work with leaders, I can always say you can only lead from who you are. So you can't be anyone else. You can't pick up the latest leadership guru and try to be that person. You have to lead from who you are with your values and lead with an authenticity of being honest about your strengths and your weaknesses. And when we do this, we raise more authentic kids. So here's what it looks like. I, no big surprise, am not great with the calendar. Like, (laughs) Linear time confounds my little pea brain. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been very honest with my children that I have to work harder with that because it's a difficult context. Now, they've, <laughs> I can do higher level statistics easily. Functioning my calendar, rocket science. And so I've been authentic with my kids in modeling that. Um, and I haven't, I'm not afraid to let them see that I do struggle because then they get to see what happens when I struggle and how I can work to work my way past that struggle. So a lot of parents try to act like they have it all together. That's always sad because, you know, I I believe every kid is born wanting to know their parent. I think that's an inherent condition we all have Mm -hmm. because we're curious about who donated this DNA to make me, me. And so when we're authentic about it, we're not hiding this. We're showing the self acceptance and self compassion along the way. And being your authentic self, and by the way, being your authentic self is not being your ill behaved self. That's just bad behavior. <laughs> um, so we don't want to show bad behavior, and say, well, that's authenticity for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No, in authenticity, you're striving to be the best version of you and you're laying kids in on the journey. And it's a lot like what you did with your boys. You let them in on the journey that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was a leadership moment for authenticity.
0: Man, that whole experience was just awful for me. So I'm glad that I did it right. <laughs> oh, again, totally
1: In fact, I really hope that now you can reframe it a little bit and look back and say, wow, that was a great moment in leadership. Yeah, Because I, I failed through my leadership <laughs> and that was everything. Right, and that's I really if if parents take away one message today, it's not that I want them to be perfect. I I really want them to parent out of this love and compassion uh, for themselves.
0: Um, just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials around ADHD or parenting as leadership or any of the topics we've discussed today?
1: ADHD is difficult. There are people who say it's a gift. And I decline that because if it were a gift, I, it's a crappy gift. It makes me late. It makes me forget where I parked my car, where are my keys in the first place. And so ADHD is very inconvenient and very difficult to live with. But when we show grace to ourselves and to our children with ADHD, we're just going to live a much more successful life. So maybe stop trying to do it right and start thinking like a leader. And leaders don't always get things right. We just keep growing from it.
0: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.